The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning. With winter's chill settling in even here in San Francisco, I hope that all of you are cuddled up in an oversized bathrobe that makes you look like an enormous stuffed animal or in your most luxurious sweater with a cup of hot coffee or tea or maybe hot chocolate or cider in your hands gathered as we gather to be together. It's wonderful to have you all here. It's especially wonderful to have anyone who might be joining us for the first time or one of the first times. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco and our Sunday morning time together of worship and reflection. I'm super grateful to have Meg McGuire, our ministerial intern, with me here this morning. And I want to do a quick shout out to everybody who makes this possible today. To Reiko Odelaine, who played our gorgeous prelude. To our singers, Leandra Ram, Brielle Marina Nielsen, Asher Davidson, Ben Rudiak Gould, and to Louis Maurer, our pianist for today. But also we have an enormous tech crew these days, so let's shout out to them. To Jonathan Silk, who is our backbone here, our director of communications, who will not only be running the sound, but later playing drums. To Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong on camera this morning. To Joe Chapeau, who's monitoring our chat. In case you have any questions, just type them in and he's there to help you. Thomas Brown, our sexton. And later, if you join for coffee hour, to Les Brown, who will be helping to welcome you to that gathering on Zoom. So welcome. The service today that we're doing is in honor of the body, a second in a series that started with my first sermon last month on the subject. So I thought I would open with a poem by Nayira Wahid, who is known by some as the most famous poet on Instagram. Very little is known about her, but her poetry and what she shares with us on social media. And she wrote this poem, Three. And I want to share it with you to open this morning. She writes, And I said to my body softly, I want to be your friend. It took a long breath and replied, I've been waiting my whole life for this. And so we begin worship. We light our candle as we have every morning since we have been physically apart during this pandemic time. We light it in honor of all of you, your spirits, so your spirit is here in this space together until such time as we can be together again in body here. Welcome to worship. I invite us now to sing our first hymn of the morning, the one you got a little taste of in our prelude this morning. Tis a gift to be simple, the Quaker hymn. It's number 16 in your gray hymnal, but it's also printed and available in your order of service. We will sing it through twice this morning. Mm -hmm. 
of our chalice lighting that are printed in your order of service. We light our chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. If this is your first time watching, we are so glad that you're here. As Vanessa mentioned, you can follow along in your order of service, which is available in the description of this video and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter. If you don't yet get our newsletter and you would like to, consider signing up through the link in the order of service or in the video description. Today, after worship, you are invited to join in our virtual coffee hour. At coffee hour, visitors and members are invited into breakout rooms where you can connect more deeply with a few others from this community. Again, you'll find the link in the description of this video and in your order of service, and Joe Chapeau on our chat will be putting it into the chat toward the end of the service. And mark your calendars for a special Zoom coffee hour next Sunday, December 13th, Entitled The Warmth of Home, you will be invited to wear a festive outfit and pull up a creative Zoom background and bring a holiday treat or a beverage that we'll enjoy together virtually. There'll be icebreakers and holiday games and you won't want to miss it. So I hope to see you next Sunday after worship for that. Also in your order of service, you'll find an extensive list of upcoming opportunities to connect, and learn and practice with others in this congregation. We hope you'll read through the offerings and join in any that are of interest to you. And you'll notice that all of the events you'll see are hosted on Zoom, and you have the opportunity to join either via video or by calling in over the phone. I'll draw your attention to a few things in particular. 
First, today after worship, you can join in the humanists and non-theists for a primer on humanist principles and history, led by member Jim Barnett. The Zoom presentation begins at 1 p.m., so you can go to coffee hour and still make it to the humanist uh, presentation today. All UUSF members and friends are invited to take part in the fabulous Aloha auction taking place in the new year. This year, of course, this major fundraiser for our community will be entirely virtual. And for now, the auction team is looking for donations to the auction that could be experiences or services or collector's items. So we hope you'll start brainstorming about possible contributions. Um, some possibilities include weekend getaways or Zoom cooking classes or scavenger hunts. And of course, this is a great year to get creative about things that might be delivered, dinner prep or cooking projects or crafts that you could drop off at someone's house. You'll find more ideas and information in the order of service. And we thank you advance for your contributions to this community. This year, uh, just as every year, we delight in filling our sanctuary with an abundance of red poinsettias, poinsettias, excuse me. Members and friends are invited to make a donation and dedicate one of the poinsettias in memory or honor of a loved one. The deadline for these dedications is Wednesday, December 16th, and you'll find more information about how to do that in your order of service. You'll also find plenty of other information about ongoing offerings, such as morning meta meditation or evening yoga, not to mention a whole host of coming adult education offerings that will begin in the new year. Now, I invite you to close your order of service and join me as we deepen together into this morning's worship, singing our meditation on breathing. You can find the words listed in your order of service or just listen to our song leaders a few times and then join in as you feel ready. We'll sing it through a few times. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, invite us now to turn to our order of service to the covenant and doxology and say together the promises that we make in this community 
and then sing them out together. Please join me in saying the covenant. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have since July of 2019 for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the mounting trauma to children separated from their families and for all the people held without charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring our gong seven times for this week of days through which we bear responsibility as citizens for these ongoing violations of human dignity. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This week, 81,036 people died of COVID-19 globally. A staggering 15,203 people in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses, and we hold in our hearts all who continue to risk their lives, to provide essential services that we all rely on, 
those who suffer from loss of job, whose lives are especially vulnerable to the disease, and all whose isolation and struggle through grief and loneliness is harder the longer this pandemic continues. So much to remember and to hold. So may we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. I invite you to enter with me now into a time of shared word and shared silence. As we settle a little deeper into this moment together, may we bring our attention first to our bodies. These miraculous vessels that carry us through this world through which we experience pain and pleasure, experience dignity and loss, through which we connect with others and the more than human world around us. May we take this moment together as an invitation to become a bit more present to these bodies of ours. You might want to place the soles of your feet flat on the ground where you can feel the consistent push and pull, the omnipresent force of gravity grounding your body to the floor, to the earth. You might take a moment to appreciate the chair 
or couch, the floor literally supporting you, holding up your weight. At the same time, you might notice your incredible length, your capacity to lengthen your spine, to stretch upward at the same time. You might also notice your edges, the outline of your skin, the soft pressure of the air around you, the perhaps not so obvious places where you begin and end. You might notice the places of comfort and ease, and probably too the places of pain and tension and tightness. Just noticing these bodies exactly as they are with welcome and curiosity. Taking in that full spectrum of experience accessible to each of us in each moment, may we enter together into a time of sacred silence. And may that silence take you or hold you in whatever way you most need right now. Spirit of life, mystery that flows within and beyond us. We are grateful for this day just as it is and for the constant unfolding of which it is part. 
for the lifelong becoming that is each of our great tasks. May we keep rising to this beautiful paradox to hold what is with reverence and equanimity and to embrace our indispensable role in the ongoing becoming of it all. May it be so. The Lord is my shepherd. I have Sunday when we are talking about and being with more deeply our bodies. It seemed like a perfect day to join together in a body prayer. If you have a body practice that is one that you would like to engage in at this moment, that is one that is part of your spiritual set of practices, please 
feel free to do that right now. For those of you who'd like to join in the one I'll be leading, for some of you it is familiar. We have done it together before. As always, I would invite you to think about doing it in ways that suit your body and its needs. You can do it seated. You could try doing it lying down. You can do it standing. Yield to where your body tells you to yield. So let me walk us through it once more in detail a second time, more briefly, and then we'll do it a last time in silence. So I invite you to begin, if you're joining me, with your hands pressed together in namaste, in a prayer stance at your heart center. Grounded, we begin. Eyes cast upward, we raise our hands and arms to the ceiling, to the sky beyond, to the vast universe in awe. We open our arms to the expansiveness of this world, opening them and holding them wide, feeling as we hold them for a moment the incredible weight of the blessings. So abundant are they, every moment. Turning our hands, imagine you are running your fingers through some of those blessings, just the ones cast about your feet, pulling some, just the ones you can gather in your hands. Bring them to yourself and press them in. Make them part of you. And then with that, open your arms and offer yourself as you are to this day. And so we return to a centered prayer pose and begin again. Hands and arms upstretched, opened to the vast abundance of blessings of this day. Running our hands through all that is left at our feet with such gorgeous generosity, pulling toward us some of the gifts of this day. We press them into us and offer ourselves as we are. And one last time in silence. Our offering for the work and ministries of this congregation will now be taken and gratefully received.
of that last hymn, the beauty of everything that we read our reading this morning, which is a poem by Sonia Renee Taylor, a poem entitled My, Bo My Mother's Body, from her book, The Body is Not an Apology. She writes, The bread of her waist, a loaf I would knead with my eight-year-old palms, sweaty from play. My brother and I marveled at the ridges and grooves, how they would summit at her navel, how her belly looked like a walnut, how we were once seeds that resided inside. We giggled, my brother and I when she would recline on the couch, lift her shirt, let her belly spread like cake batter in a pan. It was such a treat as licking the sweet from the electric mixers on birthdays. The undulating of my mother's belly was not a shame she hid from her children. She knew we came from this. Her belly was a gift we kept passing between us. It was both hers of her body and ours for having made it new, different. Her belly was an altar of flesh, built in remembrance of us, by us. What remains of my mother's belly resides in a container of ashes I keep in a closet. Every once and again, I open the box, sift through the fine crystal with palms that were once eight, feel the grooves and ridges that do not summit now, but 
rill through fingers. Granules so much more like salt than sweet today. And yet, still I marvel at her once body. Even in this form, I say, I came from this.
I should say a slight disclaimer that even in this sermon one of two I still feel like I'm diving into things and just touching on huge subjects about which there is enormous feeling and personal life experience that I will not begin to do justice to But I think you all know we are in a conversation long and with many iterations, each of them a brushstroke on something we are trying to create and understand together, all of it, this life, how we live it better and make meaning. So with that, let's begin. I don't know if it's true for everyone or just my family, my family, drawn to Los Angeles because my dad was a young actor and my mother, a free-thinking woman who loved adventure <clears throat> and loved him. Two young people who came of age in the 60s met and married and had a baby, me, almost immediately. Was it all that that influenced a childhood? My childhood, a babyhood that was one when everyone, it seemed, was keen that we all grow up being taught to love our bodies, to feel at home in them and not ashamed. <clears throat> so I remember taking baths with my mom, walking in on people who were changing their clothes and having no big ruckus made of it, having early questions answered in matter-of-fact ways with no strange energy entering the room. You know that kind, the kind that makes a kid aware that they've hit some electrified ground of cultural fraughtness, if that's a word. I don't think I had any sense of self-consciousness of my body until I was maybe five. I called my dad and he thinks that's about when it happened. He regretted the moment. He used to tell it with a little bit of lament when he would retell it as a child, this story of when his baby was tossed out of Eden to some degree unceremoniously one summer day at a public pool. Pop was always keen that I be comfortable in the water. I seem to remember that his dad before him had been the same way about his children because grandpa had once seen a child drown because the child didn't know how to swim and ever after Woody resolved to teach his kids as early as he could take them in the water with him and keep doing so until he could toss them in at the deep end and have them rise up like porpoises. My dad did the same. It was a family tradition of care and the protection of bodies. So. There we were at the pool. By now, he and I were probably working on some of my basic strokes, and I was in a swimsuit, which is to say my swimsuit bottoms, which is all I wanted to wear in those days. I mean, let's face it, the bikini tops, 
they were annoying, especially when you didn't have anything to keep them from moving around and they just got in your way. So I left them behind with full understanding and permission of my parents. Where's your top? The boy, about a year or so older than I was, asked me. You're a girl. You're supposed to wear a top. Though I wouldn't have anything even resembling the start of breasts for, I don't know, seven years at least, I got the message. My body needed a fig leaf to cover over its now revealed shame. It was a lesson I wouldn't need to learn twice. Some things stick. I bet you remember the first time you were taught what you should feel some self-consciousness about your body or, or just the way you presented in the world, something that made you defective or deficient or just different. Maybe your feet were too big or too small, your hair was the wrong color or texture, too curly or too straight, you were too slow or filled out too soon or <clears throat> never filled out enough. Something about your skin color, your freckles, the shape of your eyes, the way you laughed, the way you walked or moved through the world in a wheelchair. <clears throat> Maybe you were born with a cleft palate or a lisp. Somehow, somehow though, you learned that somehow that thing mattered. We all learned a slowly, painstakingly delineated spectrum of beauty and acceptability. We were carefully taught a norm that was seemingly written in the skies and where we deviated from it and how to feel about that. Then the messages were reinforced everywhere in the playground, in the the villains and the losers and the heroes and the stars and our books and TV and movies reinforced in our homes at the city pool. We learned about what Sonia Renee Taylor calls the ladder. Sonia Renee Taylor is a poet first by vocation, a performance poet, but now she might be called more of a movement leader, an activist, quote, committed to radical self-love and body empowerment. A person who sees that work, quote, as a tool for social justice and global transformation. Yes. Self-love and body empowerment as a tool for social justice and global transformation. I know. A key to Taylor's vision is naming this created illusion that she calls the ladder. The one we've all been taught to see and then to hold up. This particular ladder is all about bodies. It's an arbitrary ranking, but one one that gets tied to our worthiness, to the sense of what respect, care, 
esteem, access to jobs, resources, love we are each deserving of, all based on where we land on this ladder, tied to race and ableism, to ageism and lookism and a whole bunch of other isms. The ladder that we buy into pays myriad dividends, none of them good. As a parent, as a parent of a 16-year-old daughter steeped in a world of teenagers, again, I am aware more so than ever of the messages that we all get and give about our bodies and our lovability. To be a parent is to see the world again, but with fresh eyes. And there is so much now that I see in the world that I couldn't quite see when I was going through it initially that challenges any healthy growing sense of self. I worry about the results of all that. I remember years ago, I bought a copy of Cosmopolitan magazine for a flight I was taking. I started the flight happy. I ended the flight feeling depressed and insecure. And I had the good sense to wonder why. I never bought another copy of that magazine. I realized that day what it meant for an industry to profit from and play upon making me feel inadequate. I was 19. Nowadays, with the rise in anxiety and depression among teens, the literally requisite annual school program on disordered eating, a world where self-cutting and all kinds of behaviors that might be the direct effect of body dysphoria are all part of the reality of growing up. We have to look around and ask with more emphatic energy than maybe ever before, what the hell are we doing? And why do we keep doing it to one another? Sonia Renee Taylor tells the story of when she woke up to it all, and in a new way, to what was wrong. She was at a poetry slam competition when one night at the hotel, a member of her team A woman with cerebral palsy admitted that she might be pregnant. The woman, Natasha, shared that this was almost assuredly from a man who was a casual sex partner. Taylor, who had actually worked as a sexual health and public service provider, gently asked more about the woman's circumstances. Taylor admits to asking questions that other people don't normally ask or wouldn't because she feels more comfortable doing so. And so she inquired why Natasha hadn't chosen to use a condom. She remembers her friend's answer. The answer about how difficult things already were with her disability and her body 
and not feeling like it was okay to make a fuss about contraception. Taylor responded in words that seemed to spill out of her in this rush of recognition and empathy. Natasha, she said, your body is not an apology. It's not something you give to someone and say, sorry for the disability. Natasha began to weep. And Sonia Renee Taylor realized that the truth that she had just uttered was her own truth too. And so said to herself, Sonia, your body is not an apology. Your body is not an apology would be the name she would give to her book about this realization, to the movement she has started, to her digital media company that hopes to empower people around their bodies and in so doing to transform the world. Our body is not an apology. And yet, Taylor says, for so many of us, sorry has become the way we translate the word body. We are disconnected from our bodies, so many of us, she said. So many of us treating them like machines to be used and controlled with just enough gas and basic attention to keep them running until they break down and then we curse them. We try to mold them or cover up the shame or think that if we could just get them further up that ladder, we might finally be at peace with them. But here's the real tragedy. Nobody wins at this game. Those at the bottom are shamed and diminished by the ladder and harmed, and so are those at the top. I think of a woman I know who counts every calorie, so proud she is of being rail thin, like a badge of honor that she clings to of this body that she has conquered like a foe. And of all the bodies that finally show their limits, as all our bodies increasingly have to, that are then made spectators increasingly in a world that refuses to bend to the limits of bodies. No one wins at the ladder. It's a rigged game that keeps us scrambling and it's spiritually bankrupt, too. The Dalai Lama famously talks of the dangers of what he calls the comparing mind. He talks of how wherever and however it shows up, this way of being in the world, it's only ever a source of despair, and so we have to let it go whenever it shows up. The latter, well, that's a comparing mind in action, a created hierarchy that has us all agree to stack and judge others based on arbitrary standards of who is more lovable, whose bodies are more acceptable and less acceptable and lovable. The ones we need to protect and the ones that, eh, they're diminishable, they're expendable. 
And the truth is that the latter, well, it's killing us, right? As Ta-Nehisi Coates writes in his letter to his son, in his book, Between the World and Me, he writes, all our phrasing, race relations, racial chasm, racial justice, racial profiling, white privilege, even white supremacy, it all serves to obscure that racism is a visceral experience that lands with great violence on the body. It lands with great violence on anorexic girls and transgender kids, 25% of whom will try to commit suicide at least once in their lives. This, this is where that piece of Taylor's mission that starts as about body empowerment and radical love ends with freedom and global transformation. To liberate ourselves and one another from all of this, it's to speak for life and love in the largest sense. How do we do that? liberation. First, Taylor says, we must make our peace with difference. Begin to notice all of the internalized messages that surface in us about what makes one body better or more lovable than another. Notice in us the judgments, the casual jokes, the socially conditioned self-deprecating humor that has us putting ourselves down to make another feel better, all the ways that virtue is tied up subtly in our minds to the way bodies show up. Ask ourselves, Taylor says, why do I need people to be the way I believe they should be? Notice even, as Taylor points out, even our tendency to insist that all bodies should be healthy. Health is not a state we owe the world, Taylor says. We aren't less valuable, worthy, or lovable because we are not healthy. Our work begins by loving how one another shows up, of letting the latter go, and if we turn away from it together, letting it disappear as the illusion and the construct that it is. And all of this, all of this involves some unlearning of a lot of old lessons planted long ago. Sixteen years after that fateful summer day in the pool in Los Angeles, fifteen years later was the summer I graduated from college, <clears throat> and I arrived for a five-week stint in Finland. Randomly, through a friend, I had found out about a job in a, basically a campground or a resort that was there, and I applied and got it. 
In Finland, one tradition is that I think it's on Wednesday nights and Saturday afternoons, might be Sunday afternoons, everyone goes to the sauna. And it's a huge social thing to do, a gathering. So the women that I worked with at the campground, we booked an hour at one of the facility's saunas to do that together. I arrived late from my shift and I entered with my bathing suit on. I didn't know that the other part of the tradition was to go nude, so I walked in and everybody was naked. It took everything I had to take that suit off and join them. So well planted are those lessons. I hadn't been without my suit top since I'd first been shamed to putting it on. But there's more to the story than that. I sat in this room with all these women with whom I had worked for a couple weeks by then. I realized in that moment that I had actually never been around so many naked bodies and seen anything really but my own mothers and the advertisements that had been carefully curated for consumption, right? And I noticed, trying not to stare but looking around the room, how different each body was how none fit the norm in my mind of some, I don't know, normative, perfect body, but how each body was lovely. The long legs, the full legs, the small busts, the generous busts, the curves, the straight lines, the scars, the dimples, all lovely. And I realized what all that covering up and that shame that I'd been taught had helped to reinforce. The lie of some perfect body, the myth of better and worse. In all of our fleshy, wildly idiosyncratic bodies in that space, we were all beautiful. Beauty was the norm. The rest I could leave behind at the door with my discarded bikini top and bottom. The rest I would work to leave behind. And for now, so would my daughter. And so do you. Remember back to before you were taught to see what might be wrong with you, but never really was. Begin there and let the liberation, the revolution of love and transformation for us all, please, begin. Amen.
and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us, out from within us. Be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.